0: so good to see you guys welcome to whitewater and welcome to the summer of party uh where we planned 120 days where we could build relationships and find life-giving rest that is the season for us how many of you guys could use some rest in your life a few a few of you come on now yeah that is so important. Make sure you're building relationships and doing things that are life-giving and take advantage of building relationships. We're throwing all these parties as a church. We have a team that's throwing them. We had that root beer party. We just had the 4th of July. It was incredible. Um, we had Tim and Christian shirts throw this uh, 4th of July party. It was like old school. There were gunny sack racing. I had a little pie contest. I felt like I won because I kept TJ from winning and um, so that felt good But it's been fantastic, the next one's the guac-off. And I just want, man, bring people out, build relationships, and take advantage of the summer of party. We're challenging you, whether this is your first Sunday here, you've been with us since we started the series, to to really uh, join um, or come to two parties that are thrown by the church and then join a community group we have these groups that gather and eat and do life together join a group even if it's just for the summer and throw one party for like a neighborhood or for a network of people that you care about and just have fun um we just think god will do some big things through that because jesus lived a life like that I think those are the big things. Last thing I wanted to say is if you're new here, we really wanted to welcome you. This is a place you can belong before you believe, which means you don't have to believe what I do or our church uh, uh, does to, to come and explore faith and to learn what the next steps for you on your spiritual journey are. So I want to encourage you with that. And a really cool next step for you just to know what we're about and get to know our heart, know my heart, is what's called Welcome to Whitewater, and that's going to be right after the, this, this service. I think it'll be around 1230, and we'll grab some food, and you'll get to meet me and some of the pastors. It's really fun. There's child care, all that stuff, so I'd love to see you there. Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, would you just speak to us today, Lord? I know so often life gets so busy for us uh, here on earth, and we can get so busy and so anxious and so worried and our priorities can get flipped upside down um, or just disappear altogether we can get so distracted we can get so disappointed father would you speak to our hearts today no matter who we are no matter what soul it is in this building lord you drew them here for a purpose would you speak right to their heart lord whether they've they're a church going person they might not even consider themselves a christian or they've been following you since they were two lord would you speak to us today in your name, Jesus, amen. Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, to what should I compare this generation? Have you ever had a grandparent and someone's like, you know, what, how could I describe your generation? You millennials, you Gen Xers, you baby boomers, you whatever the new generation Y is, I don't know. And Jesus looks out at the people that he's ministering to, that he's trying to love, and he's seeing some tendencies. And there can be good tendencies in a generation, but we also know there can be some bad tendencies. And Jesus is saying, how can I describe this generation? How can I describe you people? He's the only one who could say that and get away with saying you people. He said this. This is how he would describe them. It's like children. You're like children sitting in the marketplace uh, calling out to other children. You guys are like the brat who's uh, just throwing pot shots at other people and like you know th- you just slandering, throwing f- you know, just fire at people, and you're just sitting on the sidelines doing it. And he says, We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. Jesus is Jesus is saying, like, I'm playing music. But you're not hearing it, so you're not dancing. Uh, uh, we're singing, but you're not hearing it, so you're not like you're not getting it. I'm telling a joke that you don't get the point to. You ever been around someone who doesn't get the point, or doesn't get the joke, or it takes a while for the joke to slowly burn in? When I was going to Bible school. I was with these um, global communities. We had people from all over the all over the globe, all over the world, international, you know. F- Korea, Japan, India, um, Eastern Europe, we had everyone, including Germans and Austrians. And Germans and Austrians were fun people. I've built some great relationships with them, and in particular, there's one couple, they were Austrian, and Germans and Austrians, culturally, very similar. Um, and there's this couple, they were married, and they were reading this book, and as they're reading this book, their faces just were telling the whole story. They were not happy. They were like, "Wow." Ach nein, nein jag, and they were using their guttural language. You know, I took German in, so I can say that. That's a little guttural. And that was ist das, this is Nick and they were just like so upset as they're reading this thing. And I could read a little German and and the, the title was uh, <laughs> How to Understand English Irony and American Sarcasm. <laughs> Which is so great because it was so German slash Austrian to be reading a book that explains like how to get humor um it was so awesome like I walked up I was like what are you guys doing they're like we are trying to understand your country and your people and this is it makes no sense when someone looks bad you'll say oh you look good When really you think they look bad it's like, why not why not just say you look bad <laughs> I said I don't know but I think you guys look great and they just were so frustrated, you know, like, and they were trying to understand and they couldn't pick up on those layers of irony and sarcasm. They, like, they, they couldn't get the joke when it was told. And I think sometimes, not only the generation, the people that Jesus was trying, trying to reach, but I think people in, in general, we can be like those kids who aren't dancing, who don't hear the music. Who don't want to participate, who don't want to join, and we can be a lot like the Austrian Germans who don't get the joke, who who can't interpret things properly. See, when Jesus came, he came and defied everyone's expectation. The reason we might be like my friends who don't get the joke and can't understand the sarcasm or the irony, they can't understand what's really going on. I think it's because with God, we want this tame, safe, controlled, in-a-box God that does what we expect him to do, that that works in a way that that matches our expectations. But see, the, the God of the scriptures, the God that I know and trust in, is the God that defies our expectations. He is the God of the unexpected. Can I get a witness? Are there any people here that have gotten to know this God who defies their expectations? And the religious people, they wanted the God who was black and white. They wanted the God who was, you know, within the lines and made sense. And I mean, let me ask you, um, you know, this might be a good question. For people who aren't church people, for people who aren't religious people, what are, what are their expectations what are their expectations of church and religious people? What do they think that we do? Who do they think we are when we gather and do the things that we do? What do they think about us? I'm opening this up. What do you guys think? Rules. rules. These are people who love rules. I mean, they're all about the rules. And if you break the rules, you're out. Ju- judgment? No, no one would ever think that a Christian is judgmental. <laughs> They don't ever think that we go to retreats to learn how to be more judgment. They would never. No, I mean, isn't, isn't that something that really jumps up? Like, oh man, I just feel judged sometimes. I think sometimes people are afraid to come in through doors of a church or become, uh, build relationships with people who, of faith because they're worried that they're just religious people who might judge them. What else is there? We need a crutch. Like we can't do things on our own or we have to have an explanation for everything we can't explain. And that explanation and that crutch that we need is God. Am I catching the drift right? What else? What's that? Some people might expect love. It depends on the person, right? But there's, there is a mixture of things. It depends on your experience. It depends on what you've seen. It depends on what you, who you know. And I think sometimes... Um, well, I think judgment's a big one people can feel. I think sometimes people can... Uh, that If they live in a world of gray, they think that we live in a world of black and white. And I think sometimes the, the central question is, would I be accepted here? And the worry is that I wouldn't be. And we serve a God of the unexpected. The unexpected. In Matthew chapter 11, again, 18 and 19 explains a little bit about this god of the unexpected it says jesus says john the baptist the one who came to proclaim jesus coming he was like the guy who's the herald the one who was saying hey there's another person coming he's the messiah he's going to be awesome get ready for him john came neither eating or drinking and they said he had a demon so john comes the baptist some of you guys have heard about him he lived out in the wilderness he abstained from a lot of it, of cultural engagement um, he wore like animal skins he ate honey and locusts which are like big grasshoppers he had like this strict diet he abstained and he was very disciplined and very conservative in his faith and when he came as a prophet to tell about Jesus all the religious people were like that guy's got a demon you know he wasn't what they expected God sent someone that they didn't expect and then when Jesus comes on the scene he's totally different than John Jesus says this about himself he said John came he called him a demon because he didn't eat or drink or, or engage in the things that that you guys did do or that other people do and in verse 19 he says the son of man me myself Jesus came eating and drinking and they said look a glutton and a drunkard look a pig and a drunk a friend of tax collectors and sinners Jesus and John did not fit the mold. They did not fit in the box for the religious people or the non-religious people. It just like blew everyone's mind. No one would ever expect Jesus to come in. It bothered the religious people so much. They said, ah, oh, he's just a drunk. He's just a he's just a glutton. He's a pig. And Jesus never sinned while he was hanging out with sinners. He never condoned sin while he was with sinners. But he never, like, made them feel like that he would reject them or that they weren't accepted by him or that he wasn't, they weren't loved by him. Does that make sense? God is the God of the unexpected, and he sends unexpected people into our lives. I mean, and let's just talk about this for a second, how unexpected God is and how he works. When Jesus was sent into the world, he was sent as a baby in this place, Bethlehem, on this journey where they couldn't find an end. There was no place for the Son of God, the King, to be born. He was born in a stable because there was no room for him. No one expected that. Um, I imagine some of his disciples remembering some of the unexpected stories of Jesus, Because when we serve an unexpected God, He comes to us in unexpected methods, unexpected stories, unexpected jokes, unexpected actions and moments that just defy everything we would ever expect. And and I imagine the disciples talking about those moments, um, maybe remembering, I remember when Jesus... He was with all the, all the Pharisees and all the people, the Pharisees were like grinding into the ground because they were superior and they're better and all the things, all the negative things someone might associate with religious people. Um, remember when they were there and Jesus said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're like, you're like, you're just like a decaying corpse, a decaying dead body. And in our culture, we don't realize how bad that is and what he said. We don't get the joke. Jesus is saying something true With like this joke. As people would be there. What they would understand as he would say that. Is that Pharisees are not allowed to be around anything decaying or dying. Because they would become ceremonially unclean so like they couldn't be around something dead and decaying they were always avoiding something dead and decaying because they were trying to be so righteous and so good and and Jesus is like you guys are like whitewashed tombs you look good on the outside but you're decaying and like disgusting inside you're a dead body you are defiled you are you are ceremonially unclean inside and like all the people listening are like oh they get the joke they get the joke jesus is saying you you want to look all perfect and clean but your religion your heart your life is a decaying body it's a corpse of a religion oh, that's that's kind of harsh but you get the joke if you understand it does that make sense disciples so remember remember when james and john were really upset because there were some cities that rejected them and they didn't like jesus And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, bring down hellfire on these people. Got any friends like that? You got some temperament like that? Bring down hellfire. Jesus, you know, and Jesus is like, you know, because he's so unexpected. You know, if you're super religious, you may be like, yeah, Jesus, bring down some hellfire. We need some more of that in this day and age. All these people doing what they want, getting away with what they want. No consequences. Bring some consequences. Bring down the hellfire. And Jesus just points at him, he's like, James and John, he's like, look at the sons of thunder want me to blow something up again. You know, like sometimes we, like he's being truthful, but funny. Like you can see the disciples, remember that? James and John are like, yeah, we're the sons of thunder. I still want him to bring down the fire. Imagine his, like Jesus was so unexpected. Remember his actions, his disciples remembering, maybe looking back on his life and saying, remember When he was supposed to come into Jerusalem and he was beginning, people were beginning to realize how incredible he was. And the Pharisees are realizing that this guy isn't just a joke. He's turning us into a joke. And we're losing power. And as he's coming toward Jerusalem, people are preparing for the king. They think he's going to, like, wipe the Romans out and he's going to bring power back to Israel and he's going to take it by force. And so they're ready for this king to come in and they're laying palm branches down and they're yelling, Hosanna, for the king to come. And Jesus goes to his disciples. He's like, hey, um, do you go get, like, a little donkey for me? like i'm sure okay and if you know anything about the culture at this time anybody who's coming in power would come like with someone carrying them or they'd come on like a white horse or maybe like a a quadruple humped camel or something you know i don't know (laughs) But something magnificent, something spectacular. And Jesus, who defies the expectations of our world, the God of the unexpected, comes in as people are yelling, King and Hosanna on a little donkey. People are like, Hosanna, clop, clop, club. Do you guys get the joke? Do you are you hearing the music of what Jesus is doing? And no one no one would no one could predict what he was going to do no one could have the right expectations but again and again he defied expectations and so when it says that they called him a drunk and a glutton the disciples when they remember the day before jesus was was killed and crucified the day that he was betrayed the night he was betrayed when he got the bread and the wine you remember this any of you guys remember this and and Jesus takes the bread and the wine and he says, whenever you break this, do this in remembrance of me. And we always think, like, that's, that's his body and blood that's being broken on the cross. Yes, it is. But do you see the extra layer of irony that the one whose reputation was the drunk and the glutton, Jesus says, whenever you eat, whenever you drink, do this in remembrance of me. The irony that the one who is known as the glutton the, the, the drinker that you follow in my footsteps. So not only do we look forward to the cross in this moment for those disciples, but we look back to my life where I was willing to take on the reputation of being a drunk and a glutton so that I could hang out with sinners and I could love them and bring them into the kingdom. That is the God we serve. Do you see the irony? Do you get the joke? Are you with me? I want to make sure you're there. And this is really important. The God of the unexpected gives us an unexpected life that leads to unexpected tensions with unexpected change. And I just want to spend the rest of this talk today talking about those things. If we serve a God of the unexpected, then we will have unexpected lives. If we follow Jesus, will we follow him? If we begin hearing the music that he's playing, if we begin getting the jokes, if we begin understanding why he lived the way he lived, coming on a donkey, make, making fun of his disciples while loving them, Calling us to drink and eat with the glutton who really was the savior of the world. Our lives will look very unexpected. All the boxes are going to be kind of broken open. All the barriers that we put up between us and God are going to be defied and changed. And so, Mike, you might want to take this uh, in your notes. We're called to live an unexpected life if we follow Jesus. Jesus. That means with unexpected stories, unexpected jokes, unexpected people, unexpected moments and actions just like Jesus. Have you ever um, noticed how stories can kind of get in the side door? I think there's a reason Jesus would tell stories um, and do unexpected things. My grandma, when my grandpa tells the story about my grandma, she's passed on. um, But he'll just get this grin when he starts talking about her and remembering her. And when he tells us stories of grandma, he's like, You know, I was a terrible athlete. I was dyslexic. I was born left handed, but because of the, when I, my family, we grew up, they, they thought left handed, um, being born left handed was a really bad omen. So they tied it behind my back and made me learn how to do everything with my right hand, being dyslexic. Try being good at anything with sports, writing or reading, if that's how you grow up. He's like, So I was terrible at sports, couldn't read well. He's like, And, and, he tells my dad, he's like, and your mom, your grandma, she wanted to make sure that our boys didn't get beat down on the playground. So she taught them how to do sports. My grandma would get out with my with my dad and my uncle Kurt and she would teach them how to punt footballs. She would teach them how to throw footballs. She would teach them how to do sports. She taught them how to ride horses. She was she defied expect, expectations of women. When she um and I remember being a little grandkid, I was like 5 or 6 years old, she'd get out in her moo-moo dress, she'd get out in her big old clogs. She'd get a football and she'd still kick that thing over the house. She taught me how to punt and my grandpa would just be like, that's my woman. <laughs> he couldn't do it at all. When, when she was, uh, when they were midlife, she, she became, I think it was a civil engineer. She was the first female in the L- L.A. County. First female. And I don't know if you guys, any of you guys have seen a Hidden Figures, where you, it's a story of how people break through like cultural barriers. And my grandma was one of those who broke through uh, kind of a gender barrier and was the first one. And, and she was putting my grandpa through school and he's dyslexic. So she had to help him write his papers, help him do the reading and help him get through that because that was a major disability in his life. So she was helping with that. And when they got pregnant with my dad, who was the first firstborn, um, when she got pregnant with my, my dad, there was like no great maternity plan or anything like that. And she knew she had to keep working to support my grandpa through school and to support them. And so what she this is probably terrible too much information but she didn't want them to like sideline her and not pay her. And so she just kept buying bigger and bigger brasiers and making sure they were stuffed full so that they couldn't tell that her belly was getting out too far. That's my grandma, you guys. Like this this like there's this brilliant craziness to her and and when my grandpa talks about it, he's telling these stories of grandma. And there's, I could tell you so many funny stories like that. But he would tell you. And that, my wife, that woman, not only co-authored the essays that I wrote. Not only co-authored, you know, the raising of our sons. But she co-authored my life. You see, I could tell you the importance of relationships. I can tell you that you should love people, you should love your wife, and you should realize how impactful they are. But doesn't it change when I tell you the story of my grandma novella and what she meant to my grandpa? Doesn't truth have a way of creeping in differently when we tell a story? Are you with me? We are then called to be storytellers. We are then called to be people of the unexpected. Lives that people don't get sometimes. Why does that person pray? Why is that person patient with this idiot? That person's an idiot. They don't deserve pain. Why are they? That makes no sense. We, we are called to live lives that do not make sense. Now, maybe some of you might try riding into your work on a donkey. People probably won't get that one. But we're supposed to live lives of the unexpected. Um, I was at a wedding one time. And there was a DJ that was there, and, there, and he, I was talking with them before the actual ceremony and then after the ceremony. And he didn't know I was a pastor at first, then eventually he found out I was a pastor. Whenever they find out you're a pastor and they're a DJ, they're like, Oh, I should watch my language and move to this area of the room. I did the wedding, and it was incredible. It was over in Montana. It was like a wild, you know... Group of rapscallions. Some of you guys know these guys. They go to this church. I love them. They're from Montana. All these Montanans are there, and the, the you know the beer tap is just flowing. And if you know anything about my story, like my family is no alcohol at all, so I had a lot of tension around that growing up. And I remember my mom when people would bring like you know something over to, as a gift that was alcohol. It was like, have you ever seen someone kind of hold a rat by the tail, and just kind of like, <laughs> where does this go? Is you know that's kind of what I grew up with. So it was you know I. I'm in this environment and I'm talking with this DJ and I go to the wedding. I come back and he's like, you know what? I'm, normally weddings are boring and normally like it's just the pastor's kind of, it's really weird. And he's like, but you seem kind of normal. I'm not saying that I'm that normal, but maybe can, in contrast to someone he's met. But he goes, I've never heard it. Uh, the reason for a wedding described that way it's like heaven meeting earth and it's God's love for the church and God's love for people is displayed in the commitment of a man and woman that come together and he's like that was that's so cool he's he's like I I do music that's all I do and I just try to bring I try to bring life to the party when I start playing music people you know it, it just brings life and I said you know what um that's really all I do at a wedding See, I might not be with the kind of music you play, but all I do is I try to, like, help people tune in to the music that God's playing, the music of the kingdom. And just, like, when you turn the music on, all these bodies start swaying in a really Montana kind of way, you know? It's Montana. I mean, there is lots of this going on. And, uh, and I'm not going to lie, I partook. And uh, don't tell my wife I was dancing. But... Uh, all I'm, As you turn on the music and people begin moving, that's all I do, is help people hear the kingdom music of God's love and watch them start to move to it. Do you hear the music? Um, we have to live lives that defy people's expectations, friends. Do you live a life? This is Christians. Let me ask you this question. Do you live a life where you are allowing God To break the mold, to break like open the box, to defy what you expect or what you think he should do? Are you allowing for him to do those things and sometimes not have to give you the explanation every moment of the way that you have to wait for the punchline of the joke? Because you might be mid-joke, you might be like mid-song, you don't know when the crescendo is coming, you might not know when the punchline is going to hit you in the chest, and you're going to go, oh, I get it. Are you open to the God of the unexpected? And if you don't know Jesus and you got dragged here by someone and your wife or your friend or your girlfriend or the girl you wish was your girlfriend kind of brought you here. Let me ask you this. Are you open to letting God challenge your notions? Are you, are you open to letting God break the box and the mold that you have and your idea of people of faith and your idea of who God is and, and your life and how it relates to the things of God? And are you willing to maybe just take a few steps toward him to begin exploring and seeing if the things that are happening in your life actually have meaning? If your life isn't just you live, you die, and you're done. Maybe there's something eternal at work here. Maybe there's something in your soul that longs for something deeper than just the story of life and death, and that's it. Is it possible that there's life and death that's a door into the new life of eternity? Will you let God defy your expectations? That's my question. The thing is that if we live an uh, unexpected life, we also have step into unexpected tension. Can I get an amen? Some people are like, ah, amen. How many of you guys have ever been to a party? who maybe grew up in a family like I did. No alcohol, no swearing, no like, you know, dancing was reserved for people only if they get married. That's a joke. Um, um, we were allowed to dance once we got engaged, so it was cool. Um, where you step into a party and you like, it's te- you feel tension. Like they're drinking that, they're saying that, they're doing these things, they're partaking in that. How many of you guys feel tension or have felt tension before? How many of you guys on the other end of things, like your whole life has been like one big party? Your mom is the biggest partier and she's sitting next to you and she's like, yeah, let's get to the next party. That's, That's the life you've and you've partaken in all these things. Sure, maybe you've overindulged a little bit, but it's mainly under control. Maybe. And then when you go to the party or you're around people who... Don't do those things, you feel tension. Because you feel like maybe they're, they're judging me. They haven't said anything, but I know I'm living in a way that's different than they live. Maybe they're judging me and you feel tension. How many of you guys have felt that before? Okay, here's the thing. When we follow God, the God of the unexpected, Jesus, the, the one who is the wise fool, who no one could understand, it seemed foolish, but it was wise. And the wisdom of the world actually was really foolish. If you follow Jesus, you are going to follow him into unexpected tension. And that tension is hard, and when we're in tension, we need wisdom. That's why when Jesus said, you know, like you called John a demon because he abstained from everything, didn't eat and drink, then I come eating and drinking, and you give this label and put this reputation on me that isn't fully true. You're calling me a, a drunk and a glutton, yet Jesus never sinned when, with sinners, and he never condoned sin with sinners, but he loved them. And he was with them. He was present with them. Um, they, they noticed he was a sinner, or a friend of sinners, but Jesus says, look at I live that way for a reason. At the end of verse 19, it says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Wisdom is proven right. It's proven right by her actions. And your decisions about whether you partake in alcohol or partake in relationships and partake in indulgence of, uh, of other things at parties, your wisdom will be proven right by your ultimate actions. And that challenges both the religious and the non-religious. In Ephesians it teaches us don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living but be filled with the spirit. We're not supposed to get drunk. What's the point of a party? The point isn't for you to escape point isn't for you to get intoxicated and drunk off of whether it's alcohol or some illicit you know a substance or a relationship or sex or just trying to escape uh your crazy world and 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 just ignore it and do crazy things and make terrible decisions and be like oh it's great what happens at the party stays at the party what happens in vegas stays at vegas like that's never true there's always hardship and consequences like that's just foolish because wisdom is proven right by her actions it will prove itself out but neither is it wise to, just, wise to totally abstain and not engage with people, and, and to call something like wine totally evil when the God that we worship, His first miracle was making wine. Jesus was a homebrewer, so we can't just like say, "Oh, it's black and white." Like there's grays in there. Some of you guys who are in the grays, you're like, "Yes, that's, your, you're, that's who you are." The black and white people are like, "No, you're dying right now." And the hard thing is I can't tell you what you exactly have to do and how you have to approach it. John the Baptist came abstaining and there is a place for people in seasons of their life or with their weaknesses in their own life that are different than others where you might need to abstain for a season or maybe your whole lifetime. Maybe you need to abstain from alcohol, not call it evil, but for you, it's not good. Being around the party life because you just got out of that is not good because it's bringing up flashbacks or it's bringing you back into that lifestyle and you need, to, you need to abstain for a season or maybe for a long time. Does that make sense? There are some people who need to like, instead of restricting the boundaries, you, you're being called to push them out. Because wisdom is proven right by our actions. If you're not engaging with people, meeting where they're at, and you're not stepping into the unexpected with Jesus, maybe you're not friends with sinners, you're judging sinners. And Jesus might be calling you to do the unexpected and expand your boundaries. Are you with me? This is challenging stuff. Well, which is which? Which is right? If you don't know, that's a little scary. If you don't have that wisdom, you need to learn it. If you don't know, you need to be okay. If you're really religious, you're used to the black and white uptight and you're like, that's my background, that's my personality, that's okay. But you need to be able to move with Jesus and learn. You might make some choices and that. Sometimes it's not always clear, but learn from them. You need to have friends and mentors. If you struggle knowing what's wise for you and you don't have friends and mentors in your life and community in your life that can speak love and truth and say, that was terrible. Don't do that anymore. You need those people. Because wisdom is where black meets white. It's in in the gray. It's like where there's tension. We are called into tension. Why do we hang out with sinners? Why do we have a summer of party? It's not for you. Don't make the mistake of thinking this is about me. The summer of party, the life of the unexpected, the life of following Christ, where we never thought we would go, is a life that's not about you, it's not about me. It's about others. Amen? Here's the last thing. We're called to a life of unexpected change. Unexpected change. In this day and age, I hear in Christian circles, a lot of like uh, this word, we're a gospel-centered church or we're a gospel-centered person. I'm a gospel this. I'm a gospel that. I mean, I mean, they're like, I'm waiting for them to start selling Christian tools, like the gospel wrench and the gospel. And sometimes, I mean, I've, that's a great word, and it's a, it's a Greek word. It's not a, it shouldn't be an idol that you worship this word. It means good news in Greek. Gospel is good news in Greek. And sometimes I wonder if, like, we understand what gospel means. I've asked people before, I'm like, well, how would you describe gospel? What does that mean? And sometimes really religious people, they can tell you about gospel. They can tell you like, well, you'll use words like sanctification and justification and glorification and regeneration. And some of you guys are like, I've never heard those words. That's okay. You know, the Pharisees, when Jesus is talking gospel with them, like their gospel is like God working within these boxes the way they need Him to work, and like it has to happen this way. So much so that when God actually worked through Jesus, they had no clue that was the Son of God. They had no clue that gospel was standing right in front of them. They had no clue that gospel change was happening all around them. And they were opposing God because they knew about gospel, but they didn't know the Giver of gospel. Makes sense. So when I ask people what the gospel means, oh, Jesus lived and he died and he came back and they believe that, that you know cognitively that that can be true. The problem with that, James teaches us that even demons believe the true things of God. They believe that Jesus came to earth and he died and he was raised back to life, but they're not on Jesus' team, friends. They're not, a great, they're not living a life changed by the gospel. So here's what I want to end with. If you were to ask the man that Jesus healed the blind man that jesus healed what does the gospel mean to you i feel like we can get a little closer to what gospel is what changes i think that man would say to you if you asked him or i asked him what is what is the gospel He'd say, all i know is that i was blind and now i can see and that man over there changed my life who is he if you ask the Jairus, the man who came to Jesus and, and his, da- his daughter was dying, she was sick, and Jesus got held up on the way to go heal her, and she died. If you were to ask Jairus, what is the gospel to you? I, I, I imagine, I don't think he would start talking about regeneration, sanctification. I, I think what he would say to you is, my daughter was dead, and Jesus came and raised her from the dead and gave her new life. That's what the gospel is to me. I think if you asked person after person who encountered Jesus and the people of Jesus and the real church that was moving by his spirit time and again, like I was a wreck, I was messed up, just swimming in guilt and swimming in sin and Jesus forgave me. That's the gospel to me. Over and over and over. And that's why Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation for anyone. And when God asks us, you know, what, or anybody asks you, what's gospel? Share your story of change. That somehow the unexpected God who gives us an unexpected life and sends us into all this unexpected tension is somehow changing us, healing us, forgiving us, giving us new freedom so that we follow him into tension. So friends, where are you following Jesus into the unexpected? Where are you letting him change your life? Where are you letting him defy all expectation? Through people, through stories, through jokes, through music that he's playing. Music of the kingdom. We're going to jump into communion. Not just to remember Jesus' death on the cross, which we needed for our forgiveness and our salvation, but to also remember that when he said, When I break this bread, whenever you break this bread and eat it, whenever you drink wine. Remember that you're following the drunk and the glutton into places where the, He can seek and save those who are lost, where He can heal those who are sick. That's why Jesus came. And so as we take communion, this is for you who have maybe de- decided to trust Jesus today. It's for you who has been following Jesus since you were. you can't even remember. If you don't know jesus yet you haven't trusted him yet this is something you can look forward to when you do but this is a celebration of the ones who have followed the the joke teller the storyteller the one who played the kingdom music and only a few could hear it only a few got the punchline, but their lives were changed as a result i'm inviting you to the table asking you do you hear the music are you going to move to it or are you going to change your life around it after communion to any and to all anyone whether you're a christian non-christian somewhere in between i'm going to be praying for anybody in the back if you have something going on in your life I ask that god would move that he would do the unexpected maybe some of you guys are in the middle of the joke and you're like i'm tired of waiting for the punchline I'm going to be praying for anybody who needs prayer. The book of James teaches us when we confess to one another, when we pray for one another, we are healed. So take communion and come receive prayer.